We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top part show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, the way these are going to be structured for the time being is on the front end, we're going to give uh, kind of updates to the extent with which we can. We're not experts, but just talk about the coronavirus situation on the first half of the show. And then Darius and I, uh, you know, our, our favorite show, we share that in common. We're going to be doing this uh, rewatch of The Wire and doing that in the second part of the episode. Um, so, yeah, we'll do, you know, coronavirus and Lakers stuff in the first segment. Uh, we'll have we'll have, you know, longer Lakers parts than we will today. Um, we did get the news that, you know, two Lakers were diagnosed with it today. So um, we'll get into that in a moment. But we opened our last episode. Darius in Alameda County had just been put under kind of lockdown, right? Uh, it, it, you know, shelter at home, <laughs> shelter in place, right? Yes. Uh, and sure. um, California Governor Gavin Newsom issued the order today. We're recording this Thursday night that's starting at midnight. Uh, so that's like two and a half hours from when we were recording this. The whole state of California is going into that. And so, um, yeah, we, we you know, kind of theorized that maybe the Bay Area would be a harbinger for what we'd see elsewhere, not only in the state, but in the country going forward. And so far, that's shown itself to be true. So I just want to ask you, man, is like, what is the experience of actually living under what a lot of the rest of us in LA will be under. Uh, what has that been like for you? What do you think we can expect? I mean, I can only speak for myself. 
I've been trying to follow this as closely as I can, both on Twitter and then watching way more news than uh-huh. what I've probably watched in the last like four years combined. Like I don't <laughs> sure. think I've watched this much news since maybe like the run up to the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Honestly, most of my time is around the Lakers or and my family and all the things that are important, right? And, and so this is leaped to like the front of the line in a lot of ways. And, and so. I provide that context because over the last week or so, it seemed like this was what was basically the recommendations of a lot of the medical experts. Like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be leaving your house for much, if anything at all, only to do essential things if you have to go grocery shopping or you need to go to the doctor for like serious, you know, conditions, right? Like, not like, oh, this is my monthly checkup. Mm -hmm. Here I am for my Mm -hmm. physical, right? Not like that. Picking up prescription meds or even just to get out to like exercise, right? While still maintaining um, or operating under like social distancing. And and so we've sort of been doing this even before um, our counties sort of shut down the way that they did. So for me, it hasn't been too drastic of a change from what it was like the two or three days before that. I will say that to have the governor come out and say it like the way that he did today, um, it causes anxiety. Yeah. And it's it's just more anxious times, right? Like it's I feel like the the rate in which there were more confirmed diagnoses up here mm-hmm. In the Bay Area, I think that that sort of triggered in at least our minds up here locally that this was already super serious, right? Mm -hmm. But to have the governor basically say, like, he didn't just limit this to, you know, the major metropolitan areas, the Bay Area and Los Angeles. He basically said, this is the whole state, right? Mm -hmm. And there was that letter. I'm not sure if you saw the letter that got leaked online, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And and so he laid out some pretty massive numbers in terms Mm of what he was anticipating or expecting. And who knows if that's hyperbole, but that's like a a giant number, man. Yes, yes. So uh, can you explain to listeners that may not be may not have seen that like what it was? Yeah, so there was a letter I guess today that or that surfaced online today from Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to President Trump or the White House, um, basically saying that he needed as many resources as he could. He asked for one of the large naval um, hospital ships to be. De- mm-hmm. There were two apparently, and he asked for one of those to be deployed off the coast of Los Angeles. Actually, um, Mm -hmm. because he anticipated the number of confirmed infections over the next eight weeks to go up to like 25 million. Yeah, 56% of the state. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about in terms of that massive number. So obviously, if that's an idea that even if that doesn't become realistic, if, if that's a scenario that leadership in this state is operating under as being realistic, then that's just scary, man. And it's problematic in so many ways. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that all of those cases will be severe and that everyone will Bro, be sick and, and <laughs> need all of this stuff. It's 25 people but, at a 1% but, mortality rate. That's 250,000 deaths, man. So it's just a massive, massive number. And it's scary. So 
I try not to be a panic type person. No. I think that that it's probably comes it's through. Well, well, I just think in general, if people like follow me online or like sure. read my writing, right? They yeah, they kind of get the sense. Yeah, we losing streak. You're not a you're not. <laughs> yeah, like you're not like it, yeah. I mean, this is not the Lakers. It's it's real life. We'll get to the Lakers shortly, right? But but this is this is something different. And so, like for me personally, I've just been taking it one like one day at a time. We're trying to do our best. We're cooking good meals. We're sure. trying to have good family time. And that's basically it, right? Like I've definitely found myself having more conversations with friends sure. and just reaching out, how you doing, that type of stuff, right? But but for the most part, I'm with many of the people I love. I'm doing a wire rewatch. Uh-huh. I'm trying to keep up on news. I'm doing a little bit of writing, wrote a piece on Vlade Divac's mm-hmm. that posted today at mm-hmm. Silver Screen and Roll, right? Like like I think that for me personally, I'm just trying to to keep up with as much of my normal life as I can considering that it's not at all normal. Right. So. And that's, you know, that's the best that we can do. Um, you know, there are going to be a lot of ramifications from this even outside of you know, how many people get sick and and pass away from it. Um, and some of the news that we got today, you know, it's, it's funny with, with, uh, with Newsom, you know, releasing that figure. And that's what the, that's what the scientists and doctors had been predicting, you know, especially people who study pandemics and things like that, that between 40 and 70% of the population would, would probably come down with it at some point. Right. Um, which isn't to say the vast majority of them are not mild, right? Like that's, that's how it, it goes. But those numbers had been out there before. It's just hearing the governor say that is like, oh, that puts it, that makes it more of a reality. And what makes it even more of a reality today is the news that two Lakers had been diagnosed with that. Yeah, I will say too, just before we move on to the Lakers, what concerned me most about the letter that Governor Newsom wrote was the timeline of that, right? Like eight weeks is not a long time. No. Now, these weeks now seem to be like moving in slow motion, mm-hmm. like Neo in the Matrix, right. right? The way he's dodging bullets, that's how these days are passing. We talked about that the last pod where we recorded on a Monday or whatever, and it was just a week before that we were talking about the Bucks and Clippers games. Mm-hmm. We're recording this now on a Thursday. <laughs> it was literally only eight days ago that like the NBA suspended their season. Years right? ago. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so I mean, eight weeks may end up feeling like a really long time based off of the way that time is moving now, mm-hmm. but it's really not. Mm-hmm. Eight weeks is not a long time. Like my kids are eight and six now. I could not tell you where those eight and six years went in sure. a lot of ways, sure. right? So, time can move very quickly on you. And, and so to to think that over the span of something like that, we could see literally, you know, tens of millions of more people be diagnosed with this. And that's the thing, like the lack of testing and everything else, which I think this is a good place to pivot to the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm, With, right. In terms of the testing and everything else. So why don't you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, just uh, Shams Karania uh, from The Athletic reported today that two Lakers tested positive. Um, they, The Nets were the last team the Lakers played before this hiatus. And the Nets last week had four guys test positive. Uh, Marcus Smart was announced to be uh, tested positive as well today. Um, I think that, you know, with those numbers, 
I think in, you know, a week or two, we're just not going to hear about individuals anymore because it's going to be so much more pervasive if those numbers of, yeah. you know, 56% or, you know, even if it's the low end of that of 40% of people getting it. And like so many of these guys, especially in the NBA, they're in peak physical condition. They're in their twenties and thirties. They don't have, you know, underlying conditions that make them compromised. They're going to be fine individually. Right. And the, the point of them quarantining and isolating is the same as what's going to be true for the vast, vast majority of us is to not endanger other people. Right. And, and to yeah. help slow the spread of this and not overwhelm the hospital system, flatten the curve, all of that stuff. But it does add just a certain degree of gravity. We don't know who it is on the Lakers, but like there's going to be more and more reports of this coming out until it's so pervasive that like it's not even really newsworthy anymore. But, um, so yeah, they tested the Lakers, uh, on a couple of days ago, got the Wednesday. results. Uh, yes. uh, yeah. On Wednesday, got the results today on Thursday. And, um, two guys came back positive. They aren't showing symptoms according to the Lakers and they're isolating, quarantined, being taken care of by the team physician. I don't have much to add on it, honestly, because this is like what's going to happen. But, uh, how did you take the news? Well, I sort of business as usual, honestly. And so, Obviously, the Lakers news broke before the before the Marcus Smart news broke. But with the four Nets who tested positive and then the players Gobert and Donovan Mitchell from the Jazz, and then you hear of all of these other teams who have been tested, it's it's just one of those those things where you had to figure that eventually this was probably going to happen to members of the Lakers organization as well, right? Like there's no, there seems to be no avoiding this in a way. It's like, how many people do you find that like have found a quarter on the street, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like it, it seems like that's how common this sure. is going to end up being. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to this podcast yet, but Danny Green was actually a guest on Howard Beck's podcast today that came out, um, the Full 48 podcast, which is a Bleacher Report pod. And Danny Green talked a little bit about the process around the Lakers in terms of getting tested and what that was like a little bit. Um, at the time of Danny Green's interview, he had not received his results yet. So it sounds like this was probably recorded earlier today, if not like yesterday. Um, but it was interesting to hear Danny Green sort of just talk about the process in which um, what the Lakers were doing as a team before this. So he had mentioned that players were still going to the facility to work out, that they were being issued like staggered workout times for them to mm -hmm. come in and get their own personal work in, both skill development work and work like on the court and then shifts in the weight room as well for them to mm -hmm. be able to work out in staggered shifts in order to keep up with uh, social distancing policies and whatnot. And so he said that it was actually near the end of the day on Tuesday that they had gotten the news of the Nets players who had tested positive. And so Danny Green was actually saying that the Lakers were sort of starting to see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, right? So like they had been getting some work in, there had just been a report or a, the league had basically said that it would be okay for players to travel out of their home area very recently. 
So he was saying that in conversations that he had had amongst his teammates, like amongst the Lakers players, that guys were already starting to make plans to leave town, basically, because they would have that opportunity. And then the news came towards the end of the day, and everybody sort of seemingly slumped down a little bit, right? Because that meant that they were going to have to go into quarantine for 14 days because they had been in contact with people who had... um been confirmed as positive tests, and then um, testing was going to be made available to them the following morning. And so he did say that almost everybody did go test, but that apparently there were players who did not, which was part of Sean's reporting as well, right? Mm-hmm. That the players right. who who did not get tested were now likely to get tested. And beyond that, it now seems like other members of the Lakers organization who have been in close contact with players, probably some of their coaches and skill development guys and and training staff, I would imagine, right, that they're going to get tested now as well. So the dominoes are really starting to fall to me, and, and we can pivot after this, but it just goes to show, man, that like, it really was important that the league shut down when they did. Um, it could have been really problematic if even two or three more games had been played. Like, look, the league shut down on a Wednesday. The Lakers were scheduled to play the Rockets on Thursday, and then they were scheduled to play back-to-back games with the Jazz, right, in in like um, a home-and-away split. So there was going to be massive opportunity for this thing to go sideways really quickly across the entire league in in a way that really would have been problematic so so you can argue that the league didn't move quick enough in in a lot of ways but thank goodness they sort of shut things down at the time that they did yes no that's uh you know i I think the the league can you know kind of get some beneficial whistles uh when it comes to evaluating some of their decisions at times i think that they've handled this relatively well so far. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to gonna shift uh, to some much needed fun to our wire rewatch. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. With currently no NBA, NHL, or college basketball, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done, there's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, The Elections, The Spelling Bee, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. All right. So uh, before we continue, uh, you guys had sent in uh, several questions that we will definitely be answering in the next episode uh, or over the next couple of episodes about the Lakers, about, uh, you know, hypotheticals, the season. This is the time to get into all sorts of stuff because we just found ourselves with a sudden off season, except there's no draft to look forward to. There's no free agency. There's no like we know what our team is. We don't even even know if the season's continuing. So we will be uh, probably entertaining some things that that maybe we would not have time to entertain otherwise. But um, yeah, as I said it uh, in the last show and at the top of this one, Darius and I are like our, our favorite show is The Wire. That is something that, that we've had in common since before we we met each other. And we are starting our rewatch of that. If 
if you have Amazon Prime, you can find it for free on there. Um, and I'm sure there are other places we can help, help you find links for that and all that. Um, but we're going to do, uh, it's on HBO as well, of course. That's where, where it originated. So what we're going to do in, in this episode. So it is kind of like lay the, the framework. There are actually two things I want to talk about. If we can, if we can get to it is the opening scene with snot boogie in the first oh. episode, right? Yeah. About snot boogie. Yes. About snot boogie. Yeah. yeah. Snot boogie, unfortunately was not, he didn't have any speaking parts. He didn't have any speaking parts. No, no, no line ready for, for snot boogie. He may not so have gotten he, his sad card for that. So let, let's, let's talk about that. Cause this first episode was written by David Simon, who's the show's creator. Sure. And he's the guy, he was a journalist in Baltimore working like the police beat. So he had a lot of insight and kind of into this world and borrowed heavily from those experiences in creating this really amazing story that spans over the course of five seasons. If you're not familiar with The Wire, it's basically about every element of the drug trade in the city of Baltimore. And this is early 2000s is when it was, when it aired early to mid 2000s. Um, and so it's really fascinating for me, like, you know, film breakdowns, this very much appeals to like my film breakdown part of my brain. Cause it's really about one thing for five seasons, but it's about all of the different aspects of it. So it's like really getting into the details. I love yeah. it. Right. Um, I think that it's important, like the very first season, the very first scene of the very first show in the very first season written by the creator of it, like he's trying to tell us something creatively, right? Like, like this is what the show is about, or this is the first thing that I have to say to you. What do you take? How about this? Describe the scene. I know you're going to do great, great at this. Describe the scene and what, what did you take from it? Well, I mean... So the show opens, and I can't remember if the first pan of the camera is on the two characters or if it's on the dead body that's in the street. But obviously, there's a bit of of unfolding, and there's two characters. One's a cop. We end up finding out this guy's name is McNulty and Detective McNulty. And then the other character is just a random person, a guy from the neighborhood. And McNulty is talking to him about... The dead body that they either just shown or are about to show that's laying in the street. Mm -hmm. And they have this, this conversation. And it's funny because the way that this show goes, people are sort of like, when's it going to get going? Right. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. for me, I don't know if this was the same for you, but I'm already hooked by mm -hmm. the time that these two guys are having the dialogue that they're having. Right. Just mm -hmm. the flow of the conversation and what they are talking about and how authentic it feels between these two people having this conversation about what they're talking about is mm -hmm. just riveting to me. Mm -hmm. And so McNulty is not interrogating this guy. He's no. more just asking him questions about like, so what happened? And the guy is explaining to McNulty that, well, you know. He doesn't quite tell him exactly how it went down. He's talking to him about almost his relationship and what these guys do on an everyday basis, right? right? He's like what their like life the environment, right? You're like yes, what is like, the world that they're operating in? Yes. Like what their life is like. And so he's explaining a crap game and the best part is when he's saying, you know, like, well, you know, and he does this same thing like 
like Why every do you time. Even let him in the game, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and so old. Like ultimately, it gets revealed that this guy gets killed because every time that him and his buddies are shooting craps, he waits for the pot to get really big, and then he snatches up all of the money and runs. And he runs mm-hmm. and he tries to steal it. And right. every single time he gets caught, and they whip his they ass, kick, and they kick his ass, <laughs> and then they get their money back. And uh-huh. McNulty sort of incredulously asks him, like- "Well, like." Why do you even let him in the game? But yeah. Why do you even let him in the game? And dude's response. And do you have the quote? No. Yeah. He said, he said you got to. This is America, man. And this like, is his America, response, man. Well, like the first thing he said is like, why do you even let him in the game? And he's like, what? Like he's like, they never like he didn't even consider that as a possibility. Right. And like, I, I think that's revealing in that part of and we're about to get into this with the cops along with the, the Barksdales. Part of what's revealed with the Barksdales especially is that like you take care of your people, right? Like good yes. or bad, like snot, snot boogie who got his name because his, you know, it, that was just his, his nickname, right? Like that's yes. what everyone, what everyone called him. Snot, like for better or for worse, he was one of theirs. And like, yeah, he'd, fu- he'd fuck up and he'd steal their money. They'd whip his ass and the score was settled. And like this guy was lamenting like, like you don't got to do that, right? Like, yeah, like he's well, one of ours, right? Yeah, almost like. This was a step too far within the game, right? And and so the game is something that we will get to over the course of our rewatch because to me it is the thread. It is one of the main threads of the fabric of the entire series, right? Like the rules of the game and right. sort of honor and code. And this exists on both sides of mm-hmm. the drug game, both from those perpetrating the like the drug game and then the police who are trying to stop it and thwart it both from like a narcotic side and from a murder side and so the friend was sort of like you didn't have to kill him over this right mm-hmm. like it's just part of the game like you know just just beat his ass get your money back and then that's yeah. it and then you know and then next friday right. next friday we'll do the same thing that's right. <laughs> this is what happens, right? And and this is our life. Right. And so that scene to me just sort of sets the entire thing off within the context of code and rules and and then to me over the course of the first episode and then especially in the second episode those things start to be refined even a little bit more and the curtain gets pulled back a little bit more as to what sort of the code is amongst both sides and right. and it's super interesting man like but yeah. let me ask you a question so episode mm-hmm. 1 there is a lot that happens mm-hmm. in episode 1 right there's like the whole court scene mm-hmm. that happens with D'Angelo who's on trial mm-hmm. there's the opening Conversation scene with the that judge, we talked right, about yeah. right mm-hmm. there is there is the McNulty stuff in terms of his conversations with with the judge there is an introduction of all of these cops um who very quickly we start to see this strong character development as mm-hmm. to who these guys are so what was your favorite part in like the rewatch, right? Because I don't, how, so I wanted to ask you that, but also like, how many times have you rewatched this? So this is my third rewatch. So okay. I guess this my, is guess number four my, for me. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, when you watch it, like knowing 
how the story progresses, yeah. certain interactions like, oh, I caught that little like uh yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, just caught little interactions between characters where you're like, oh, I yeah, I see why why that happened that way. What really so my my favorite part about this is the introduction of the two different organizations, the Barksdale yeah. organization and the Baltimore Police Department. And the Barksdales are so much more well run than the police department is, right? So the the way the Barksdales are is you've got Avon Barksdale on on top. And the second scene after the snot boogie scene, you're in a courtroom and there's D'Angelo Barksdale, right? And D'Angelo Barksdale is the nephew of the kingpin of this Barksdale group. And you got Stringer Bell sitting in the back, played by Idris Elba. Um, and McNulty wanders into the room. We can get off on all that. Anyway, D'Angelo Barksdale has shot someone over a uh it was a failed drug they got into an argument and he shoots him like in the lobby of the terrace buildings that they run where they where they run their operation out of and you know they've there's witnesses it's sloppy right and so the barksdales are, are this organization is very much they've got uh they've got rules by how they do things and it's very strict and what's and D'Angelo is kind of like the screw up, right? But he's family; he's the nephew. So there's some of that like nepotism. Like there's yeah. no way that dude gets any power in this in this organization with how strict they are. If he's not like blood relative That's to right. somebody important, and he's blood relative to the guy on top. So up top, you got Avon Barksdale, who McNulty is sitting in on this. It's not even his case. You got Barlow down the hallway screaming at this dude about this quote that he doesn't like on some home improvement project. He's the detective on the case, but he doesn't care enough. That's one of the things you start to get established too, is that McNulty actually gives a crap and actually knows these people. And he actually has respect for the Barksdales because he's really irritated with how the Baltimore police department is run. And like, he sees that these guys are actually like good at what they do, right? Like they're organized. Avon Barksdale, nobody knows what he looks like. Nobody knows, like, from the cop side, right? But they're just starting to get, like, McNulty sees this trial flip because there were two eyewitnesses. The first one points out, like, yeah, it was D'Angelo that shot him. And then the second one is, like, Nikisha Lyles. She's like, no, he ain't in here, <laughs> you know, and basically tanks the case, right? So it's obvious that they have, that the Barksdale organization has, you know, Made sure done, they, they had done some witness tampering. The best right. part of that scene to me is the look on McNulty's face. Like, uh -huh. it's like the scene <laughs> in Anchorman where, like, the dog eats all the cheese in the refrigerator. And then Ron Burgundy's yeah. line is, is like, I'm not even mad. I, I, I'm, I I'm, like I'm that's impressed. Amazing. Yeah, right? that's amazing. I'm not even mad. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that was sort of McNulty, right? He's like, he's like, I'm not even mad. Like mm -hmm. y'all got her to turn. Good for right. y'all. Oh, both. That's right. Right. Like that's right. No, no. He walked out. He was like nicely done to Stringer. Yes. Right. And Stringer is second in command uh, of the of this organization. But they've got all sorts of rules. Like uh, when they're driving away from, and D'Angelo is like, "Oh, you guys did this and that." And they're in Weebay's car. Right. And Weebay's one of the muscle of the Barksdale organization. And so, like, they got to put up with D'Angelo's incompetent ass because he's blood but they've got all these rules so like Weebay pulls over in the in yeah his, he's driving his car he's like what are the rules like oh we don't talk about business in the car no we don't talk about business in the car because there could be taps like and so they're they're super careful they're really careful about uh about sure. what they do but so yeah so you contrast 
the Barksdales who are are they're they're dealing drugs and they're they're gaining control of West Baltimore by being very effective at their jobs. You contrast that with the Baltimore Police Department, and it's like a lot of people either trying to get through their day or have been around so long that like nobody's going to fire them. Uh, they, and it's yeah. like, it's very much less, a, less of a meritocracy than it is with the Barksdales and McNulty and uh, Kima Greggs, who's just an amazing character. There are a couple of people that like really give a crap, but the higher up the food chain you get, the more people care about what they look like and like the political gains. So you got like, so what happens is McNulty sees what happens and he tries to leave. And then the judge who knows McNulty from his days as prosecutor is like, no, 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 get your ass in here. What are you doing here? And McNulty's starting to put the pieces together of like, yo, these guys like got to a state's witness and that's still a big deal in Baltimore. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the judge ends up calling McNulty's higher ups and really pisses off Rawls. Who's Rawls is a major, I think. Yeah. Uh, or no, or he's below the, yeah. Uh, or maybe he's deputy ops. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, he's a major, major Rawls. Yeah. And and Rawls is like pissed off at McNulty because he got his ass chewed out by his Rawls is always pissed off. Rawls is always pissed off, yes. Um, but you see, and then you see Burrell, who's the deputy commissioner, who's above Rawls. Basically, all of these people are like political animals from that point. They're on out. Yeah. And everything that's done kind of trickles down. It's not about like being a good cop or being no. good at law enforcement. It's about jockeying for position politically and all of that. Well, the thing I would say too, and to me, this is one of the standout characteristics of the series. And it's one of the reasons why I love it is because both sides play under a certain set of rules. And there are rules that are, that really govern both sides, right? And so for all the criminal empire organizational rules that you just lay, laid out from the Barksdale side, like no talking in the car and you, you know, you're not talking to the police. And even when Avon ends up talking to D'Angelo about like after he got off, from like after he beat the murder trial or the murder charge, how he was talking to him about like, why'd you even go about your business this way? Like you're in a building that we control. You've got dudes up in the stairwell who got your back. You've got this, you've got that, but you decide you're going to you shoot someone, mm -hmm. right? Because you, A, you ain't got the heart or muscle to take this dude outside and just handle business and you can't take an ass beating, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you so you pull out your gun and you shoot you a dude. Like right. basically follow the damn rules, right? Like either take your ass beating or handle your business without killing a dude, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we had to go through X, Y, and Z in order to get you off. Now the rules on the cop side are all about chain of command. And a lot of that is driven by the political implications of all of these things because everyone on the cop side is, especially the higher up the ladder you will you go, is CYA, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about how they look and whether or not the way something looks is going to undermine their credibility and their authority in a way that does not allow them to continue to move up the ladder, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone is playing by this game except McNulty, which is clear, because he is the only one really in these first couple of episodes that 
is not sort of playing by those specific set of rules. He is more than happy to go outside of the chain of command. He is more than happy to sort of make up his own rules because he feels like the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. And in a way, the way that both of those ideas are, are exhibited on both sides of this is super interesting to me because you can see that both of these sides, both these organizations, right? The drug organization, the, the, like the gang organization and the police organization, both of these institutions are sort of both trying to figure out how we can get everyone in our groups to play by the damn rules in order to keep things on the up and up for everybody. And when, and I feel like, especially in this first episode, you see how wandering outside of those lines mm -hmm. causes problems for the people yes. in power and how that then triggers a bunch of ramifications for both sides, right? And it's really the jumping off of that idea in this first episode that for me at least hooked me. That's it right there. It's it's these two organizations and the rules in which they operate. Uh, you see their flaws. Like so, one last thing. After D'Angelo screws up, right, and they get him out of this, you know, Avon is pissed off at him, right, for acting yeah. like an idiot. And you you and exactly what you said about like not being able to take an ass beating, like escalating the situation. You're drawing eyeballs and cops, and that's what Avon wants less than anything. Avon's not trying to be some like some flashy drug dealer that's in front of everyone's faces. They don't even have a picture of this guy. And that's exactly how Avon likes it. So Avon chews this guy out for drawing so much attention, right? For dropping a body in the middle of the lobby for everybody to see. Um, but then a couple scenes later, they're having some banquet. I don't remember what it was for, but you see Avon in the back making food. And yeah, that's episode two. There. Oh, is yeah, that episode that's episode two. two. Right. So yeah, D'Angelo comes in and he's with his girl. They got their baby. And like when Avon sees D'Angelo, this is after this whole big thing went down where they had to get him off of a murder charge. He sees D'Angelo walk in. He's like, hey, like he's like genuinely excited to see him because yeah. it's family over everything. Right. So you start to see like the, what these people value on both sides of the fence. That's a good place to wrap it up. We're coming up on, on 40 minutes. We've got plenty of time to stretch this out uh, in the next episode when we do the rewatch portion we're going to talk about kind of who the players are who the people are and what they're all about we got into a little bit with mcnulty we'll get into it with some some more folks um and and we'll answer some of your lakers questions we'll get into more lakers stuff in the next episode but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time Ains has got it in low to mchale mchale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Campbell in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. 
Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.